Written on the pages of the great book of nature lies a truth so profound that it has beckoned men and women throughout the ages to seek its wisdom. We will continue this quest and study many stories of humanity as we search for this light. On this journey, we will examine philosophy, religion, and science to uncover the hidden mysteries behind myth and legend using the symbols of universal Freemasonry. Welcome to Legends of the Craft. Welcome back to Legends of the Craft. I'm here with my co-host, Brother Axel Savari. We're here for another exciting episode, which will be Dreams and Freemasonry. It's an exciting topic today, Brother Matthias. You know, we spend, what is it, a third of our lives, you know, unconscious for all intents and purposes. But there's this phenomenon that takes place, dreaming, which everybody experiences. Nobody can really explain exactly what it is or uh, what we're supposed to be doing with it. And yet, it's responsible for so much of our lives. Literally, a third of our lives is spent in dreams, but then our dreams themselves influence our waking realities. Some people even catching glimpses of the future in their dreams. And today we're going to find out that Freemasonry can actually instruct us in the proper art of dreaming and that there might be something more than just our own personal entertainment that we can derive from our voyages in the astral plane. So yeah, so so dreams, Brother Axel, are, you know, like you said, we, we, we spend a third of our lives doing it. And I think most people just chalk it up to the, you know, the unconscious mind dealing with its internal problems. A lot of modern scientific theory just states that, you know, we enter a dream state, uh, REM sleep, in order to, you know, rejuvenate the body and, you know, heal mental sickness and those type of things. And I don't disagree that any of that is true, but I think it's a little more than just the scientific mumbo-jumbo they throw out at us all the time. Uh, dreams um, for most religions, most traditions going back to the beginning of recorded history um, is something that's real. We don't see dreams as real, but they are real. They're not real like the physical world real, like, you know, touching things, you know, tangible objects, but it is a, it is a reality. It's part of the universe. And, and as we spend a third of our time there, we should learn to understand it, to to navigate it and to essentially incorporate it into our evolution. So this is one of the first, I think, departure points from our uh, conventional, modern uh, way of looking at the world that you and I are so fond of, of destroying with these podcasts. And I think it's it's the first part uh, piece of agreement that we can find with masonry is that masonry teaches us that there. Are is at least a world, if not many worlds, beyond what we can see and taste and touch with our physical senses. That masonry instructs us that there is more to the world than just what is material. And so dreams are our most kind of like basic and apparent interface with that world. It's we all go somewhere when we go to sleep. We all have this experience. It's not that, you know, the occasional um, kind of psychically gifted person among us has these experiences. We all have had dreams. There's not one person in the world that's never dreamt before. Now, the traditions that we're going to be talking about today insist that we are actually going somewhere, that it's not just our unconscious mind, whatever that is, just kind of running in circles and, and playing games with itself, that we're actually going to a place that has its own existence, whether or not we're there. Um, 
whether or not we are visiting it, this world uh, has its own existence, it has its own inhabitants, and it has its own rules. Uh, and that if we can learn those rules by applying the precepts of masonry to them, then we can actually navigate our way through this world. So I think the first thing is to outline, you know, where are we going in these dreams? So when we dream, we, we go to what is called the astral realm or the astral plane. And we talked about this, I think me and brother uh, Patrick had an episode about the seven bodies of man several years ago. Um, so there are seven planes, there are seven bodies uh, that we exist in. And um, the first and foremost is the physical plane, you know, what we can see, touch, smell, you know, interact with our five senses. The second plane is the astral plane, which can also be referred to as sort of the emotional plane. Uh, it's not a tangible place, um, but it's filled with emotions and feelings. Um, it's, not an, it's, it's not a concrete place, it's an abstract place, right? Uh, and the third plane is the plane, the mental plane. That's where, you know, uh, our thoughts take place. Um, and we're, we're experiencing these all the time. Like right now I'm awake, I'm in the physical world, but I have emotions and I'm interacting with the astral plane and I'm having thoughts. And so I'm also interacting with the mental plane. But when we sleep, we actually leave the physical plane and go only into the astral plane and the mental plane, depending on how adept you are dreaming. But most people are just on the astral plane. They're not uh, strong enough to go to the mental plane. Now, there are more planes that go you know, up to, to the seventh plane. But for, for, the, for the sake of this podcast, we're going to stick basically with these three planes. The physical plane, the astral or, or emotional plane, and the mental plane. Uh, and again, when we, when we go to sleep, our body kind of shuts down. And we awaken in our dream on the astral plane. And the reason everything is kind of like disjointed... You know, sometimes you're in a house and you know it's like the house you grew up in, but it actually doesn't look like the house you grew up in. Or, or you're interacting but with people. But it feels that way. It feels that way. Or you mm -hmm. interact with people like you'd say, oh, that's my parents, but they don't look like your parents. Like we all have these kind of interesting kind of disjointed uh, encounters on the astral plane in our dreams uh, with things that are familiar, but they're not exactly how we would depict them in the physical plane. And, and there's a reason for that because um, our feelings... Uh, don't visualize or they don't they don't manifest uh, on the astral plane as they do on the physical plane. So there's an interesting kind of part of this that I think you need to to have to fully understand what you're saying. That so it's not just the planes that exist all on top of each other, but as you're saying earlier, we have a body that corresponds to each one of these planes. So we have an astral body on top of our physical body. So these bodies are all existing in the same space in the same way that the planes are occupying the same space. So when we're moving through the world, our physical body moves through the physical world. But at the same time, our astral or emotional body is moving through the astral or emotional world. So we have a history in this place as much as we do in the physical plane. So things that we have done in the astral plane have their own existence. And, and if I remember correctly, it's the, the laws of physics, so to speak, in these places are slightly different than what we would experience on the physical plane. That's why, um, like you're saying, our, the way that we experience it is disjointed and it doesn't make sense in a kind of cause and effect way because that's not how this realm operates. Yeah, so essentially what we call the laws of physics applies to the physical universe. But on the astral plane, there's like... Uh, it's not called the laws of the physics. The laws of asterisks. Exactly. And, and, and the laws of mentalism. 
uh, would apply to the third plane. So it, completely different rules, and we have to understand that. We kind of have to let go of how we perceive the physical world, world to understand the dream world or the astral world. Um, and how do we know about the astral realm? Well, we know this through religious, philosophical sources. It's something that's been studied since man could think and, and communicate. Um, dreams have played an important part in, in human history. It's only now that we kind of you know, relegate it to just like this, again, scientific backwaters of, you know, it's nothing to do with the supernatural, nothing to do with spirituality. It's just the brain, you know, maintaining itself. You know, it's like defragging a hard drive. You know, that's how they kind of equate it. But that, that's nothing could be further from the truth. But what we do know scientifically, because there's some interesting clues with some, some studies that have been done. So when we're awake, Brother Axel, the left, our left hemisphere of our brain kind of dominates. And that's kind of our, our logical side. You know, the, the, you know, two plus two equals four. You know, if I want to go to, uh, to the nearest town, I need to get on this highway, turn on this road, take a right, take a left. You know, it's directions, it's orientation, it's step-by-step -step processes. That's the left brain. The left brain wants explanations, logical explanations. It, it uses reason um, in order to, to navigate the physical world. And the right side of our brain is, is, is not turned off, but it's, it's, it's kind of subordinate to the left side. What's interesting is they've done tests where they've put people, um, and they put them to sleep, and they've connected you know, certain devices to the, to the brain to see what sections light up. And what they see is that it's a reversal. So when we dream, the right side now is dominant, which is our creative side. It's our artistic side. It's the abstract side. Um, so the, the logical side is now kind of um, subordinate to the right side. And I, that's why your dreams, they're not logical. You know, you can't, you can't necessarily use reason to understand them because in the astral plane, logic as we know it doesn't exist. And so what happens is that um, it is, the dreams are just as real as the physical world, but the left side of the brain tells you that it's not because the left side, which is the concrete brain, uh, in some ways um, uh, is not as advanced as the right side uh, of our brain. But our right side of our brain is something that's undeveloped in most human beings. But that's where like people, people that are great musicians or great artists, that all comes from the right side. But very few people know how to access that right side. So by learning to access and utilize your dreams, you actually become more artistic, you become more creative, you become more abstract, you can gain more inspiration in all the things that you do in life. So what you're saying then makes me think of a question, Brother Matias, like why is it then, um, if this accounts for a third of our life, and it's something that every human being will undergo. Why is it that we are unable, for the most part, unless you're kind of naturally gifted, why is it that without any serious training, you don't remember any of this stuff? Why, like, why, and, and perhaps is, is the reason for our, our dream experience being so divorced from concrete realities that our, like, when we're in the astral realm, do we forget the material side of life? Like, in the same way that in our waking consciousness, we forget what happens in the astral realm, on the astral plane, do we forget our physical realities? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's certainly a part of it. So the, the left side is what's really good at remembering things. It's memory. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's logical. It's, 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 it's logic. It's reason. Um, but the brain doesn't store information. It doesn't find relevant. 
And so what happens is that because of the effects of modernity, we no longer feel that dreams are important. So we don't remember them because we don't think it's important. But in cultures, like in African cultures and Asian cultures, where dreams are still um, very important to them because they think they're messages from their ancestors, etc., they 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 remember their dreams a lot more than we do in the West, but that's because an emphasis is put on it. So the left brain to to remember things, it will, and that's a really important part of, of cult training is that the the left brain, the concrete brain, is a tool. It's not the end. You know, all this intellectual masturbation is worthless without spirituality, without the abstract mind giving it context and form, and so. In, in some ways, dreaming is really us living out our, our higher life. So then what, what kind of dreams are we, are we seeking? So if we, if we start taking the, I'm assuming we're going to call this like the occult approach to dreaming, the kind of like um, methodical approach to understanding our dreams, then I assume that there are different kinds of dreams. So like the astral plane is a world as, as varied and as myriad as our own. So there's got to be all kinds of hazards and dangers and things that we have to look out for and and goals that we have to have but so for somebody like myself who's a complete novice to all of this where do we start in understanding what our goal is as occult awakened dreamers so <clears throat> dreaming right we dream every night and and what's very interesting here is that there are certain times you don't dream like the entire time that you're asleep um you kind of run on a four-hour cycle where in the third to fourth hours really where you enter a deep sleep REM sleep uh, rapid eye movement essentially uh, and that's when we can get to the deepest states of dreaming so this idea that we you sleep eight hours a day is kind of a modern idea too and again I'm just crapping on modernity today but uh, people used to sleep like four hours and then wake up and do something and then go back to sleep for like four hours so we're, we're, we, we usually operate in this four-hour cycle and at the end of the cycle is when you kind of reach your deepest sleep. That's why, like, usually in the morning before you wake up, that's when you'll have your best dreams. Um, when you enter a dream, um, you are, you're not aware that you're dreaming. And most people, they dream and they're not even aware they're dreaming. Uh, this is the lowest state of dreaming. What we want to achieve is lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming is where you are aware that you are asleep that you are in a dream, that you're consciously aware. And they've done, the science has also done studies on this. So they go back to the brain studies while people are sleeping. People that have begun lucid dreaming, both parts of the brain are activated. This is really interesting. So during the day, our left side dominates. At night, when you're unaware, your right side dominates. But when you lucid dream, which means you are now awake in your dream, you are aware that you are in a dream, both hemispheres of the brain activate. What do you think about that, Brother Axel? Well, you know, it, it, it made me think of some other uh, episodes of the podcast that we've done, uh, particularly with this stuff about, like, um, the hermetic laws and the divine hermaphrodism, that, you know, it's always this unity of opposites, this blending of two disparate parts that seems to bring us occult results. And in fact, that, like, really the result of occultism is to, is to blend opposites and to, and to take things that would otherwise not work with one another and combine them to make something more powerful. This is, to me, it's the fundamental lesson of masonry, too. It's like you, you take all these parts in terms of like the officers and the brethren of a lodge and you put them together into a whole. So really occultism is all about putting things into a whole. And so 
by awakening all of the brain, because we've, we've all heard that kind of trite saying, like, oh, you're only using 10% of your brain. Awakening more and more of it until the whole is functioning as it should seems to me to be the goal. And any time we get closer to that, any time that connections can be made across that world, then we have the, the bridge flowing between our kind of lower experience of the world and these higher planes of reality. Information can now travel across these and we have, we have achieved the purpose of, of basically all magic. The dreaming is truly the subjective state of existence. So you can see the waking world as being objective and you can see the sleeping world as being subjective. And when you're lucid dreaming, that's omnijective. It's both subjective and objective at the same time. And the scientists know that the people are, are lucid dreaming because they, they'll, they'll be told before they go to sleep, like, wiggle your toe once you achieve lucid dreaming. Well, uh, they wait. They're looking at the brain. The, both sides are fully activated. And suddenly, their big toe is wiggling. So the person's awake in their dreams and is sending commands to their toe, you know. Um, now, how do you lucid dream? This is, this is always a question. There's a lot of books and all this. It's not that complicated, really. There are two things that you should do uh, to begin with. Get a dream journal. Get a dream journal. You, you write down your dreams first thing in the morning. So you wake up, you write your dreams. You, know, you don't go get coffee. You don't go take a shower. You don't go pet your dog. You write down immediately because you can remember your dreams right when you wake up. Within five minutes, you'll begin forgetting them. If you do this every day, your brain, you start training the left side of your brain to remember your dreams more and more because you're putting an emphasis on it. Because they're relevant now. Exactly. Yeah. So you'll remember more and more every time. So you write down your dreams. And you could do this on your phone. You could do this in actual you know, a paper journal. But you write them down. And the more and more you do that, the more and more you're going to remember. Now, the, the second part of this is lucid dreaming. How do you lucid dream? Uh, many of you have probably seen the movie uh, Inception. Inception actually draws on a lot of these ideas kind of in a fictitious way. Uh, but it's actually a very good movie, and they actually use a lot of real techniques. And so essentially uh, what you do is you need, to, uh, you need to train yourself while you're awake to do something in your dream that will make you realize that you're asleep. So for example, during the waking hours, you would look at your hands. Put, put, you know, put your hands in front of your eyes, look at them and say, uh, I am awake. I am awake. So every time you look at your hands, you say, I am awake. Well, what happens is in your dreams, you'll look at your hands in your dream and you will say, I am awake. And as soon as you say you're awake, boom, you are like, oh, I'm dreaming. And suddenly you're now lucid dreaming. Mm -hmm. This can actually be pretty scary for a lot of people because uh, once you lucid dream, you can start controlling your dreams and it actually be quite scary. Um, I've, I've been doing this for 20 years, so I know how to lucid dream. Uh, and when I first did it, I actually stopped doing it for like six months because it kind of freaked me out. Uh, but lucid dreaming is a really, really, really powerful experience. It's a real experience. Science backs it up. There's not some super uh, supernatural new age mumbo jumbo. There's a lot of ideas that are mumbo jumbo about it, but like lucid dreaming is a real thing. And once you lucid dream, you can now use that third of your life in a productive fashion. You're in control of the third of your life. You're not being controlled or forgetting most of it. So emphasizing dreams by just writing them down in the morning, and this could take six months to a year before somebody lucid dreams. It took me about a year mm -hmm. uh, to accomplish it. But just using the journal is is the most important thing you could do. You know, this, this is interesting because like this, 
I feel like this is the aspect of of kind of our again our modern understanding of Freemasonry that's missing is that Masonry truly is an occult school, and so you, I, I think it's fair to say you probably wouldn't have you wouldn't have come across this had you not become a Mason those twenty years ago that you wouldn't have been set down this path uh, without that and that this kind of like dimension of putting into practice all these things that we're told. Um, brings us a whole new dimension of our life. And I was, I was thinking of a question as you were, as you were speaking. Would you say, would you equate then that our experience of going into a lodge, uh, leaving the material world behind as kind of being um, analogous to entering the astral plane or, or working in dreams? Like as soon as you pass over the threshold and you're admitted by the outer guard that you've kind of entered into the dream realm where symbolism can be manipulated and, and played with. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, t- to your to your first point, the the reason I got into dreaming was actually it was a Masonic brother who gave me a book called The Art of Dreaming by Carlos Castaneda, and it's a book I recommend to everybody to go get. It's it's it reads like a fiction, and a lot of people have said that uh, Carlos basically made up everything, and and maybe he did. I don't know. It was an excellent book, and it helped me lucid dream. So I can't deny the byproduct of his work, but. Um, essentially, Carlos Castaneda goes down to Mexico and hangs out with these Toltec Indians. Um, he calls one of them Don Juan, and Don Juan is essentially a master in dreaming and a sorcerer, and he teaches uh, Carlos how to dream. Um, and it's, it's a very easy read. It's a very quick read. Um, but, but it's true that the Toltec Indians had this huge emphasis in dreaming that really when we're dreaming, that's more real than the, what we call the waking or ordinary world. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that, that's when we can, uh, gain the highest glimpses of, um, the higher worlds. So, so, you know, in, in terms of the lodge, and this is a Masonic podcast. Yes, absolutely. Like, uh, that's why I think chambers of reflection are so important because my theory is is that when we start the initiation and we're, we're admitted to the chamber of reflection, that's the real world, and we go to sleep. So when the hoodwink is placed upon our eyes, we actually are going to sleep. And the first real experience you get after that is the point of a dagger presented to your, to your, um, to your body. And that, that prick is the idea of looking at your hands and saying i'm awake Mm -hmm. so the prick actually makes you awakens you in the dreams the hoodwink is still on you but then you you feel this sharp pressure and you're suddenly kind of re you know reinvigorated right Mm -hmm. and so i think that that's the first portal in the entry to the lodge and that's the first gate of dreaming which is lucid dreaming by the way so of the four gates of dreaming the first one is lucid dreaming and that's exactly when you you're, the, the dagger is presented to your breast and then you're admitted into the lodge room. So then, so then if we are, if we're going to take this as, as, a, as a workable analogy, then in the same way that we prepare for masonry, then we should prepare for our dreams in the, in the sense of like, uh, it sounds like what you're saying is like this starts in the waking world before we even get to the the dreaming part. So as we're heading into uh, sleep, as, as our physical body starts to get tired, we should be preparing our mind or our brain or whatever kind of our astral body that's going to be um, journeying through this realm. We should prepare it for the types of dreams that we want. Is that correct? Absolutely. So, so again, like what, 
what awaits us on the other side of that? Speaking of somebody that doesn't lucid dream, like how, what do we expect to find on the other, on, once we pass this first gate over the threshold? So there's, there's four gates, and there's also four points before one is made a mason in the initiation. So I think the, these four, um, the three journeys and the arrival at the altar uh, for the obligation represent the four gates of dreaming. So the first one is lucid dreaming. Uh, which is emphasized by the, the dagger being presented uh, to your body um, as a recollection uh, of, your, of your duties. The, the second uh, gate um, or the second journey um, in the second portal in masonry um, <clears throat> represents the idea of beginning to build forms. So once you're lucid dreaming, you can say, oh, I want to go to Paris. You can imagine yourself in the Eiffel Tower. Uh, you could go to Antarctica. So you could start uh, visualizing um, and, and creating your dream. Um, so you're, you become, you're starting to become a builder, right? And the third uh, gate is, is basically you know, what people call like out-of-body experiences you know it's it's traveling it's what they call astral traveling which most people talk about this as if they do it and i think they're they're just full of crap um but i think it's a it's a real idea that you can you can actually project your astral body to different places on the planet so when i said originally like go to paris you're not really going to paris you're imagining yourself in paris that's you're, you're still dreaming but in the third gate you're actually uh going places you're astral projecting yourself to to lo locations and the fourth uh gate of dreaming is uh sharing a dream with another person um it's um and this can be uh you know there's a lot of occult ideas of you know uh you know adepts you know having meetings on the astral plane uh you know people meeting each other you know they, they don't need um you know like in star wars where they use like you know holographic projection you know uh, they're literally we can go talk to each other in plane we don't have to cross the planet with an airplane um, and so these are kind of the four the four gates and I think it corresponds to again these journeys that lead up to the altar so uh, the first three mysterious journeys uh, in masonry are the four uh, symbolic journeys and this is in the Scottish Rite traditions and in Memphis and Miserum um, corresponds with the first three gates right and in co-masonry we encounter uh, elemental forces because there are uh, entities that live in the dream world um, it's not just all projections of our mind there are there are astral beings and some of these are the elementals right air fire earth and water and um, in, in in our ritual we learn how to um, be recognized by these elements and why because in order to construct forms at the second gate, for example, you need to control the elementals, right? So when you control earth and water, you can start constructing these type of forms. I, I know this is getting a little abstract. Well, no, but... no. So, I, all right, let me let me concretize it a little bit then. So, so what you're saying is essentially is that like masonry, and as we experience it in the initiation and the blue lodges, is a magical ceremony which prepares us for voyaging in the astral realm. I mean, I think it's more among, than that. Among other among things. things. But yes, when we, we apply dreaming, absolutely. So, so in the sense, so the recognition by the elements in the first degree, like it actually, like that actually does put a, a magical mark on us that says that like basically clears us for passage through these gates. Passage through these gates, but then allows you to start doing things. Mm -hmm. So if the first gate, the prick of a dagger 
is to make you lucid dream, then the second gate is to start building your own dreams, mm-hmm. right? And what are we as Masons? We're builders, we're builders right? Yeah. And people think we're builders of, of cathedrals. That was operative Masons. We're speculative Masons. And a lot of people think, well, oh, we're building ideas. Yeah, we're uh, Yes, but we're not building concrete ideas. We're building abstract ideas. We're building astral and mental uh, concepts, uh, which we do. Uh, dreaming is, a, is the way to start doing this. So when we take the second... Um, the first mysterious journey to the second portal, which is the second gate of dreaming, we're learning to, over, to, to control earth and water. Earth and water allows us to create forms. Now the third gate, um, a lot, you know, which would be uh, correspond to the third portal in masonry, um, the second mysterious journey, that would correlate to fire or air and fire. And these are mental concepts. So from physical, we go to mental concepts. We learn to create thought forms. So when we say that we are, you know, we're building the temple not made with hands, it's it's basically, so from what I'm taking from all of this is that there's there's the work in the physical realm, which is like building up lodges and temples and, and all that stuff, and that's great. But what that's really doing is preparing us to participate in this other work that's going on behind the scenes, this um, well, at first, astral work, like navigating our way through that uh, over to the mental plane where we build these thought forms. And it, so it seems to me that the uh, the astral plane is kind of like a, like a field of brambles or something like it, it's a it's a like a patch of thorns that we have to cross in order to get to our real goal, which is which is the mental plane. Yeah, I think, you know, the temple made not of eternal in the heavens is an astral and mental plane construction. Um, yeah, at some point we learn masonry that physical temples don't work, right? They keep getting built and destroyed by our enemies. So we're trying to construct a temple on higher planes. So those that cannot properly dream, those that can't create or get to the mental plane and create thought forms, how are they really to participate uh, in the building of this temple made not of hands? So I think really... Uh, we can correlate the first three degrees of masonry uh, to the three planes. So the first degree is the physical plane, the second degree is the astral plane, and the third degree is the mental plane. So in the first degree, we're learning how to control and subdue our passions, control our bodies. In the second degree, the seven liberal arts is teaching us the mental... um, the mental fortitude in order to start constructing our dreams. Um, and in the third degree, um, with the events that take place around Hiram Abiff, uh, we are learning to create powerful thought forms that can influence humanity. So this then is why in masonry, like everything is taught through symbols is because, you know, we have this idea that because we inhabit the material plane for the most amount of time, that this is the origination of everything that we do in life, that everything that comes from us, our ideas, our creations, everything, it all begins in matter. But the opposite is, is really true. Like the material plane is the lowest emanation of reality. That it actually, like we have filtered all the way down from the mind of God through these seven planes and that the material realm is the outward expression. So each time we leave each plane that we step up from, we're actually getting closer to the source of of things. So nothing emerges from matter. Ideas, history, great movements, basically everything actually comes from these higher planes, either the mental plane or the astral plane. 
or, well, really from effects all the way up the chain right to the mind of God. But for our purposes in this podcast, like what we see around us is not, it's not a creation of human beings tinkering with matter. Like we can rearrange stuff that's already here, but like as human beings, we come into material existence and like there's really nothing we can do about it. Like we're here, we're governed by all these material laws. We have all these limitations and basically everybody everything that has been built was built by somebody else before we got here. Like we can mess around with it and change it a little bit, but ultimately like we can't change the fact that we like breathe air and walk on earth and are burned by fire. Like those are all set conditions because of things that have happened on higher planes that have dictated how the material world is shaped. So if we want to change the material world, we can't concentrate on matter. That's kind of, it's like a circular exercise. We're not getting anywhere. We have to go to these higher realms. Well, that's, and that's the problem with materialism is, that, the, the, <clears throat> is um, that it's essentially dead, you know? And, and, and this idea that, you know, uh, we can come up with, with higher ideas and gain inspiration is false. Um, I don't think we realize how much of, of everything that is great that we know has come from higher planes. And a lot of great men and women in history have said that they got their ideas in their dreams be it scientific be it artistic be it music like it, it was almost like a gift from the gods is the way they would describe it and many of them would say they would wake in the morning inspired there's a one modern scientist is wolfgang Pauli, uh the uh, german scientist who came up with the neutrino discovered the neutrino and he actually conceived of it in his dreams he saw it, he examined it, and he woke up, wrote it down, and you know everything that he had seen came out you know, to be true, right? And what's really interesting about Wolfgang Pauli is that he was actually um, working with uh, Carl Jung to look at his dreams and try to figure out what they would mean. And he, he went to daily, sometimes, um, excuse me, monthly, sometimes daily sessions when he was around this, this psychologist uh, in order to understand his dreams. And he was actually going to work with Carl Jung to develop a new language by which science and spirituality could be communicated in a way that they weren't fighting one another. He ended up abandoning the project because you know many of his colleagues were, were laughing at him, but he had a conviction, and he, frankly, he was one of the greatest scientists of the 20th century, but he's not the only one that ascribes their discoveries to, to dreams. Now, of course, that was... Uh, presumably perverted once again by the you know the arch enemy of this podcast, which is the New Age movement, into this whole like uh, dream interpretation nonsense, where like you know somebody can ascribe the meaning to certain symbols as being universal across all dreams. I, I think from what you've been saying so far, like that seems to me to be an exercise in futility. If if all dreams are the at least the co-creation, if not the conscious creation of the dreamer themselves, like how can we apply the same set of symbols to everybody's dream worlds? It, dream interpretation is garbage. If you've bought a book on it, you're wasting your time. Um, and and the ancients are very clear on this. This is something that you have to do on your own. You can be helped. By, let's say like a, the, the shaman, the Toltec shaman, you can be helped by people that are very good at dreaming. They can kind of give you a direction. But ultimately, you have to decipher the, the meaning of your dreams because in the case that you haven't learned a lucid dream, there's still an extrapolation of your the, your bodies, your physical, astral, and mental bodies. And therefore, it's the, the things you see are based on your uh, the ideas you have stored, your memories. 
um, if you're lucid dreaming, then you're building your dreams and you're building them according to what you know. So I can't go into your dreams, Axel, uh, and try to tell you what things mean because I don't know all the experiences you had in life. I don't know what a specific image means because, you know, maybe, you know, when you were a child, you were like frightened by a crucifix and it scared you, right? And then when you dream of something like a crucifix in your dreams, it, 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 it connected to um, that fear. Where for me, I might see the crucifix as a, as a wonderful image and uh, I wouldn't have that fear when I saw it. So, you know, again, I can, I could help you or someone could help you or you could help me um, get to an understanding. But like really, like we have to look at ourselves. It's, it's very much man know thyself in this mm-hmm. case. Well, and well, and presumably too, there's another element to all of this that like, I assume that one should not go into this blind in a sense. Like if, if the astral plane is as real as the physical plane, if not realer, as we're saying, then, then certainly all of the, um, all of the terrible things in the physical plane have their astral counterparts. If we're if we're thinking that reality becomes manifested in a downward fashion towards the material plane, then everything negative on the material plane that we seek to avoid physically has to have its astral counterpart too, right? Like there's got to be some, like what is the astral source of evil in the astral plane? Well, I mean, I don't know if I could answer that question, but I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Um, there's an equivalence, but I think that's why... You know, I think in a way we've everybody dreams, but 99% of people don't lucid dream. They're not really aware of what's going on in their dreams. Many people don't even remember their dreams. And I think this is actually a safety mechanism because um, it can be dangerous uh, when you lucid dream. There, there are dangers uh, when you access the mental plane. There, I think there are dangers with all these things, um, and that's why in in occult um, in occult knowledge and understanding. You know, you're told to approach these things with caution. And so for most human beings, we have this built-in safety mechanism where we don't remember our dreams, we're not lucid dreaming. But once you start lucid dreaming, there are kind of a lot of pitfalls because if you start um, imagining things that you shouldn't, like you're going to draw negative energy towards you, you know, negative entities towards you. Um, because, you know, you got to think of like the astral plane, like the, the Star Trek's holograph or holodeck, right? Where you can, you can kind of imagine anything you want. So once you start lucid dreaming, you build things, you can start doing, you could, you could, and I I don't want to give any bad ideas here, but like you could, you know, you could say, I want to go shoot 10 people in my dreams to know what that feels like. Well, you shouldn't do that in the physical plane, and you shouldn't do that on the astral plane. Mm-hmm. And you certainly shouldn't do that in the mental plane that, where you create thought forms. So if you do that, you're going to start drawing negative forces to you, and you, you're you starting to play with fire at that point. You know what's interesting about that? So that kind of goes along with this like inversion of the order of reality that we were talking about earlier. So like we imagine everything as originating in the material plane and then going upwards. But if we take seriously the idea that actually manifestation comes to us from above, downwards, to us, then morality and kind of like ethical restrictions should be stronger as you move up these planes. So like if, if the, in the material plane we should play by moral rules because they're like effective for keeping a civilization together and they lead us to accumulate good karma and, wor- and work off bad karma, then certainly that... That is amplified if you go one step closer to the source of everything. So if you go into the astral plane, you're one layer closer to reality. 
And therefore, everything that was true in the physical plane, it's like it's more true in the astral realm. Like the the moral and ethical restrictions when you dream, like they don't go away. Because in the material realm, we think like, or in the materialist kind of way of thinking, like dreams are this is kind of like free-for-alls. Like you can do whatever you want, none of it matters. But if what we're saying is that actually you're approaching closer to reality when you leave the physical plane and go into the astral plane, then actually your uh, ethical behavior should be more restricted when you are dreaming than even in, in physical life. I know that sounds kind of weird, but does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the Catholic Church in, in many religions, but the Catholic Church especially has this idea of like demon possession, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some, some demon taking over your body. And, you know, there are priests that are charged with um, doing exorcisms to get this demon out of you. Um, and they still have this today. Like this is not something you read. No, the in Vatican books. still has exorcists. Yeah, <clears throat> I know one on, on the East Coast. There's a brother that does it. Um, and I think when we look at that, it's I, I think this happens on the astral plane. So like if you start lucid dreaming and you start drawing negative entities to you uh, because you're doing negative things, I think you have the possibility of being possessed. Um, and becoming a vehicle for these entities that don't have physical bodies in order to uh, enjoy the pleasures of having a physical body. So when we start losing dreaming, we have to uh, follow all the rules. We have to be prepared. We have to do it um, with a lot of caution or otherwise we actually may be drawing very, very negative forces to us. So again, this is really why conditioning ourselves before we sleep and, and like anything that you want to take seriously, you do with intention and purpose before you go into it. So when we're dreaming, then we should have the same kind of like conscious forethought to say that, you know, I'm going to avoid the same things that I would avoid on the, on the material realm for the same reasons that I would avoid them. I'm going to avoid them on the astral plane as well. Like, is, is that the way of kind of creating this shield or, or safety around yourself when you're when you're going into this place? Um, that's so necessary because I, I agree with you like if the astral realm is populated with beings then certainly some of them are so alien to our own form of consciousness that like you know it what it makes me think of is like the old European fairy tales like how you would go into the realm of the fae and you know they would want to give you things like give you these great these gifts of powers or, or wealth or riches or whatever but that they always came with some kind of bargain that you like you had to mm -hmm. give up your firstborn child when you returned or something like that that it's kind of almost describing this realm that like there are going to be things that want something of you or that want to manipulate you or or just want to do you harm because these are the places where negativity originates like we have we have people in the material realm that do horrible things because they're influenced by this realm but we're actually going into that realm where these influences have have a being all their own. Like, like things that possess people on the material plane, like their power is diminished in the material plane. Well, we're actually going to their turf in that sense. Like we're going to their home well, field. Uh, well, exactly. And that's what's so dangerous is we're going into someone else's house, not even knowing what's there. And if we, don't, we aren't in control, if we're not ready to protect ourselves, I mean, who knows what can happen? So like Paracelsus... Uh, talks about you know the gnomes and the salamanders mm -hmm. and the um, what are the other ones the the, the sylphs the, and the undines the undines yeah. and these are the four elements these are the elementals so in co-masonry in the first degree initiation we learn to be recognized by the four elements 
by the gnomes. The gnomes are the element of earth, right? And how many stories are there mm -hmm. throughout the Middle Ages about little people gnomes? stumbling into the world of the gnomes? Yeah, yeah. and that's part of the, that folklore you're talking about, those mm -hmm. fairy tales. And so, like, they're personified as gnomes and salamanders and all these things. And um, and there are other personifications for these. But you, you're absolutely right. Like these, it's not that they're good or bad. They're just these entities. And uh, in, in Carlo Castaneda's book, they're called inorganic beings. That's what the, Tol the Toltecs are called, call them, because they're not organic beings like you or I. Like they don't have flesh. They're inorganic beings. In masonry or in, in occultism, we call them the elementals. And they, they, we need to interact with them, but we have to be in control of the elementals. We have to be in control of the inorganic beings, as Carlos Castaneda calls them. Otherwise, uh, they're like tricksters. You know, and they'll they'll play tricks on us. They'll manipulate us in order to get what they want. They're they're not evil. They're not bad. But but we have to negotiate in a way with these with these elemental forces. I wonder then if that's the origin of the myths of, or well, maybe not the myths, but the the stories of werewolves and vampires too. Because so like there's this kind of like there's this layer of like inorganic beings that kind of function. Um, kind of in a machine-like way. They're, they're just kind of like the natural forces that are found on the astral plane. But then you have things like werewolves and vampires, where these are malevolent creatures with a consciousness and an intelligence. They're predatory. They only come out at night. They're only visible under the full moon, right? They have their power only in the nighttime, and they're, and they're dissipated in the day. Like, literally, waking consciousness destroys them. You, you can't see them. But when you go into their realm, they have more power, or, or that's where their power is derived from. And I wonder if, if that's the real uh, origin of these legends, is that they, like, these are very real things that one can encounter when voyaging the astral plane. Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, vampires. Vampires are not beings that suck your blood. These are beings that suck your energy. I mean, we all know people that you like. You're in a room with these people, and after an hour, like you just like want to put a bullet in your head. You want to go to sleep. You're exhausted. You just want to get away because they suck your energy. We all know these people. Don't tell me you don't. We've <laughs> yeah. met these people, yeah. and they suck everything out of you, right? Mm -hmm. You know these people? Mm -hmm. Of course. And that's a real vampire. They exist. I've met these people. We've all met these people. They're not, they don't have fangs. They're not sucking blood. The, the, the folklore, um, the mythology, is just a way of kind of personifying real ideas in, in a fictitious way. Mm -hmm. and, and werewolves are really these people that seem nice. And then at some point, they become extremely violent and crazy. We know these people. I mean, in, 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 you know, when you watch the news, what, these are like the psychopaths that end up being... They, they had a day job for 30 years, and, and the person's like, oh, they were such a nice guy. I worked with him all these years. I didn't know he could be a murderer, mm -hmm. right? But, you know, something triggers these people, and they do weird things in the shadows, right? So werewolves and vampires... They're not, they're not the fictitious version, but they walk among us, mm -hmm. right? And I think, going back to this astral plane, that they essentially, the, I think they're possessed in a way. They've been messing with things. They're usually people with very high IQ that are like psychopaths, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so they have this super mental ability. They go onto the astral plane. They're messing with things, and they get influenced, overtaken, and then they end up doing horrible things on the physical plane and I, I this is my my little theory on all this but i think a lot of what we see in history is like you know mass murderers uh horrible people you know people that ran like the, the nazi death camps 
they're being possessed by by forces on the astral plane. Um, you know, in Christianity, you hear like, oh, you're being influenced by demons or you know by Satan. Um, I think this is kind of a a simple way of saying you know that people are messing with things they shouldn't uh, on the astral plane. So. <laughs> I see your crazy theory, and I'll raise you an even crazier theory. So, when I was uh, when I was a teenager, I was very involved with the rave scene um, back in the like early two thousand tens and whatnot. And so, um, eventually, I left because I came to the realization uh, that these are actually um, I th- I think they're actually like consciously organized as mass rituals to create a frenzied emotional state in order to allow beings from the astral plane to come into the world and take possession of bodies so like not only uh well first of all like and i'm gonna really i'm gonna really piss some people off with this but i actually think that psychedelic drugs are not bringing us any closer to god i think that they're actually working on our emotional centers and making us more vulnerable to malevolent entities when you pair that with the particular kind of music and the physiology that it works on like that all that heavy bass um, I think it's actually it's breaking down those beats down low. <laughs> I think it's it's breaking down the barriers between uh, physical reality and astral reality. And so when your emotions are are at this kind of heightened fever pitch, and um, you know the music is breaking apart the the barrier between the two worlds, and and you're at this kind of like uh, emotional frenzy. I think it's actually like it's like a feeding frenzy for astral entities to come in and take people's energy and if possible to take possession of their physical form so that they can experience physical sensation again <laughs> i don't know if we're going to lose listeners on this episode or not but well, I, I mean these are this is what i think well i mean i, I i'll go, go even further i mean i think like <laughs> I, essentially i think that's the danger of like the the night life like nightclubs bars uh, i'm not talking about drinking a glass of wine you know with your girlfriend having some witty banter I'm talking about going into the nightlife that essentially, um, it's, it's, essentially it's, it's, it's an orgy of, of desire and pleasure. I think this is why masonry tells us to subdue our passions and to improve ourselves in masonry. Uh, because people, and, and all you listeners know what I'm talking about, when you're living a life at going to nightclubs every night, going to bars every night, like it's, it's, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're weakened. Uh, you're thinking about the wrong things. You're dealing with the wrong people. You know, like my mother used to say growing up, like nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Um, I'm sure many parents, uh, oh, they used to say that. I don't know what the parents say these days. Um, but like the nighttime can be, you know, we're supposed to be in our bed sleeping, you know. Um, you know, the, the simple life is you go to bed when the sun goes down, you wake up when the sun rises, Right. Um, and the night's not an evil time, please don't get me wrong, but it's when, it's when bad things can happen if we're not in control. And I think too often this modern life we live in has just said, oh yeah, just go drink, have sex, do whatever you want, do all these drugs. There are consequences. We weaken not only our physical body. And when you and you weaken your physical body, you weaken your astral body. And when you weaken your astral body, you weaken your mental body. All three are weakened. And when they're weak, then these these inorganic beings, these elemental forces, these these malevolent you know um, forces can influence us, and we can do things that you know you're like, why did I even do that? How did those thoughts come into my head? Why am I suddenly so angry? Why am I suddenly so jealous? 
And well, because we're, we have created a lifestyle that invites those things into us. And again, this does not excuse the individual because if those things are allowed to enter you, it's because you are weak, because you haven't done the right things to protect yourself and you deserve the consequences of what happens to you. You know, and this, this kind of gets into another you know crazy idea that I think we've kind of hinted at in the past um, on various episodes of the podcast. But, you know, if, if there is, if we believe in the hermetic axiom um, of, you know, so below, as above, as within, so without, like there's this idea that there, like there are, there are opposites to things. So if, if there's organized good in the same way, in, in the sense of like, you know, masonry and, and this kind of like, you know, these organizations that work towards the light, well, then the same must be true of, of the darkness, right? That there's this idea that if there's a white lodge, then there's also a black lodge. And both, the, like, the conflict between these things, it does, again, like, it doesn't originate on the material plane. Like, these, um, this conflict is fought on higher levels. And then the results of it is what kind of, like, filters down into material manifestation. You know, there's, a great, uh, there's a great article that... Uh, Brother Charles Ledbetter wrote about the First World War where, like, him and a bunch of other, like, light occultists are, like, talking to uh, von Bismarck on the astral plane, being like, Germany, you got to stop doing what you're doing. Like, they're having this whole kind of, like, astral conflict resolution that they're and But the result of it on the on the material plane is, like, World War One. So, like, that's what we see. But their understanding of it was that it was actually something that was happening on these higher planes, the astral plane and the mental plane beyond that. So without this understanding that I think Masonry is awakening us to, that like there's more going on than what we just than than our kind of like disjointed material understanding of all this, where we only see our perspective on it. Like all of these things are are small parts of events that are happening and forces that are moving on planes beyond that which we see. Like yeah. we come to that as a kind of like physical experience, but that's not where it started. Well, today in the world, you know, this is October 2023, you know, uh, Hamas has attacked Israel. Uh, the Ukraine is still being invaded by Russia. People feel like the world's falling apart, that we're heading towards World War Three. And I'm not saying it is that or it isn't, but everyone does feel that way. Where is this feeling coming from? Is it because they watch the news and they get these ideas? Or is there generally a thought form? There's a feeling in the air that we're all picking up. Well, that feeling wasn't produced here on the physical plane. It was produced in higher planes. And so either that's the result of a conflict that's occurring at a higher level, or that idea is being pushed down into our minds, into our feelings. And so that's why mm -hmm. as Masons, what, when we're building the temple made not of hands to turn on the heavens, when we start to, to master the dreaming world, we start to master the astral plane. And then we eventually, and we're not, this episode is not about the mental plane per se, but when we start um, mastering the mental plane, we can start to uh, give shape to thought forms that promote peace, that promotes harmony, tranquility, growth, evolution, cooperation. But right now I feel like the world actually, the thought forms are all death, destruction, division, discrimination, hatred. Those are the ones that are manifesting in the world. And where are these coming from? Again, I'm not a materialist. I don't think most people listening to the show are materialists. So um, they're not coming from, you know, Joe Blow on the, you know, the foreign uh, relations council. You know, this isn't from the, this isn't like from Donald Trump's mind. This isn't George Soros. Like these, like we get, we, this is why I can't stand about conspiracy theories. They literally think that just like three or four human beings 
on the planet can control everything. That's not possible. Like there's never a spiritual explanation to what's going on on the planet, even though we claim to be spiritual beings. Everything is because of physical processes. It's because one person pulled a switch or sent an email or gave an order. Like, no, 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 no. The, the physical events that are taking place are but the echo of what is taking place on a higher plane. Well, and I think that like that's one of the things that this understanding awakens you to is like you you have a role or a duty to fulfill in all of these planes. And I and I think that's what masonry is illustrating to us is like the lowest level of masonry is is to instruct us in our duties to to ourselves, to our neighbors, and to our civilization. Like in the first degree, that's kind of like where, where our focus is. It's like here, here are your duties on the on the physical plane, but you actually have duties on these other planes also. Like to refine your emotions, to subdue your passions, uh, is fulfilling your duty on the astral plane. To think highly and to speak truthfully, like these are things that service the mental plane and the activities going on there. So because like again, like you're saying, like. We can't think of what we do on the physical plane as being the only manifestation of what we're actually doing. Like one way or another, we're all kind of aligned with these various factions and the activities that they're conducting on these higher planes. And my question to you, Brother Matthias, is like, you know, do you think that the, the 20th century and, and so far the course that we're plotting in the 21st century has to do with like this, the fact that like as, you know, the force of religion... And, and and true like spiritual understanding of the causes of things in the world as that begins to diminish that like perhaps for a time one side is gaining dominance in the astral plane because we are not supplying it with the right thought forms that like basically we're not adding the right fuel and so our our side so to speak on the astral and the mental plane is like they're basically running out of of reinforcements they don't have the energy they don't have the supplies that they need in order to counter this kind of like materialistic and divisive uh, current that's being forced down in, into the material world and so as things begin to come apart as people kind of get this general like psychic unease it's because the balance of power is shifting in another direction well i think i mean yes i, I yes i agree with you and and i think it's because as masonry has weakened uh over the you know the last five to ten decades um the work being done in masonic lodges has become um polluted we are supposed to be in lodge to create thought forms, to aid the creation of thought forms. So like when we're in a ceremony, we're sitting in the columns or we're an officer, uh, we're supposed to be focusing on what is being said and, and visualizing those things. So when we, you know, when we talk about wisdom, strength, and beauty, liberty, equality, fraternity, we're supposed to be uh, visualizing these concepts uh, in the lodge. We're supposed to be following along each word and visualizing them. Um, um, but most, you know, Mailcraft lodges are just—they don't even know why they're lodge. I mean, I don't even know why Mailcraft Masons go to lodge because they're just there to like give each other awards and do pancake breakfast, right? So they're not—they're—they don't even know what a thought form is, probably. Or I mean, most of them don't have any clue what a thought form is. And in co-masonry, there's so few of us that that the work is being done at a low level. We need more co-masons. But at least we're aware in our organization of what we're doing. We're, you know, we're we we believe that the adepts in the world are are trying to create these positive thought forms to influence the future of humanity, and we are giving energy to that through the work we do in our lodges, through our meditations, through our ceremonies, 
Um, that's why, like, at the beginning of our meetings, before we get started, like, before, when we're forming the procession, the Master of the Lodge always says that we have to calm our physical bodies. You know, we have to subdue our emotions, and we have to essentially align our thoughts. Like, it's, it's saying how we have to align the three planes within ourselves before we begin the meeting. And then, you know, in Comacery, we have a sensing ceremony to purify our space. We have a beautiful lighting of the, of, um, the, lighting of the uh, ceremony of the lighting of the candles, in which we invoke wisdom strength and beauty these are all uh, ceremonial ways that we create thought forms because we're trying to the three thought forms we do in mace in, in the blue lodge is wisdom strength and beauty those are we're trying to build those and what's interesting is that when we do the initiation and the candidates led through these mysterious journeys and they have to stop at portals right uh, the warden of those portals are the actual wardens of the lodge and the master who represent wisdom, strength, and beauty. So we're learning that that beauty, first we have to master beauty in order to get to the second gate to start building our own dreams. So because what is beauty? Beauty is manifestation. So we're mm -hmm. manifesting things in our dreams. In the in the uh, second mysterious journey where we arrive at the third portal, the third portal is the senior warden who represents strength. So we need strength in order to start creating thought forms because that's what fire and air are. They're, they're the subtler elements, right? And then finally, the master whose wisdom teaches us how to access the final gates of dreaming. Because without wisdom, uh, we will fall prey to the evil that exists on these higher planes. Well, and it's interesting, too, that the, the symbol in the east of the Ray Worshipful Master is the square. These two arms joined at an angle of 90 degrees that by by taking the you know beauty on the one hand and strength on the other, and again through combination, which is a, the ultimate alchemical and occult work is to combine things into something more powerful, like wisdom is the combination of strength and beauty. It's knowing when to apply how much of each in order to create whatever it is that needs to be created. And in in the same way that the master brings people together to commune in a lodge, the fourth gate of the dreams brings dreamers together to communicate in a dream. And, and so really like w these are just fractal expressions of the same work mm -hmm. at various levels. That's why I think every, every Masonic meeting is a dream state. Like that's why it's everyone's like, oh, this is, these tracing boards are all weird. There's all these weird abstract images, and why are we doing all these weird grips and tokens and, and words and signs? Like really, like like masonry. Like you go to initiation, passing or raising, it's like a dream, right? It's disjointed. Some of the stuff doesn't make any sense. It's super abstract and symbolic. It's because masonry is the dream state while you're awake, which which leads me to another point about. Um, those that become powerful dreamers, you don't have to go to sleep to dream. That's what daydreaming is. So it's possible while you're awake to access the astral plane. While you're awake, you can do the same thing too. And there are, but that's much harder to do because dreaming, you're kind and of forced that, into that's it every not, night. That's not like just letting your thoughts run away with you. There's no, a difference no, between no. like just kind of like thinking about things and actual daydreaming, right? I think that's. I mean, what we call meditation, mm -hmm. you know, it can, that can be what, what others call daydreaming. So when we, we can sit there in, a, in, in, in kind of in a, in a trance almost, and we can do this while we're awake, mm -hmm. that's really skilled. Uh, I've only been able to accomplish it a couple of times. Um, lucid dreaming is much easier than daydreaming, mm -hmm. but you don't need to be asleep. 
but in a, in a way, the way our, our, our biology is made, we're forced to go to the dreaming world every night, even though we, we may not know how to utilize it. But those that can do it while you're awake, that's that's another level, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's that's the level of a you know of a master in a Masonic lodge. You know, they control um, all the other gates. They control the the wisdom. They control the strength. They control the four elements, and so they're taking it to another level. So then, like. What might that next level of this look like? And, you know, one of the things that kind of occurs to me is this idea of like, I think this is rather common in people that I've known that are kind of just like naturally adept at dreaming is they, they tend to start um, getting glimpses of the future or things that might happen. Uh, I've know, I knew a, a, a girl once who, who had the ability to, she just naturally lucid like she she had the most vivid and creative dreams um she never like she didn't consciously have to work at it she was just basically awake in the dream realm every every night never never had to do anything to get there and she would occasionally like talk about oh like like some little thing would happen she'd be like oh yeah i dreamed that like oh yeah i saw that in my dream it was it was kind of nonchalant she never made a big deal out of it or anything it was like it was just kind of natural to her that she was getting these um these visions from the astral realm and so, because from what I understand, like time doesn't function the same way in the astral realm that it does here. It kind of, things kind of happen more simultaneously than we perceive them in the physical plane. Like we have to go from one event to the next to the next. It's to linear. The next. Like it's it's a progression of cause and effect mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily hold in the astral realm. So perhaps the first layer of what we're able to do, you know, as a service on the astral plane would be to to work on this skill of prophecy that it's not just a it's not necessarily a gift but it's a skill that we can cultivate. Well, I think the best example of what you're talking about is the Old Testament. Um, the prophets, mm. the like, angels are always coming in the dreams. Yeah. yeah, and it's like they're all dreaming. It's very clear that like when we when we talk about Ezekiel, uh, when we talk about um, you know Moses, when we talk about all these different prophets the the visions they're getting is is either them dreaming or it's a daydream. So when we look, you know, any Christian, Jew or Muslim should should very easily view dreaming as a way to access God. Okay? You know, we may call them adapts or whatever. This is a different language, but like for for the Judeo-Christian tradition, dreams is how you communicate to God. And so there are prophetic dreams. They're dreams that tell you of what will what 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 will come in the future. So I think Noah, when he was, you know, when he was, you know, between quotes, told that the world would be flooded. I mean, he received that in a dream. He had a vision, you know, and, and he, he was able to, he, to successfully navigate the astral mental plane, uh, receive this information, and then try to tell everybody about it. But nobody believed him, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's the problem. We don't necessarily believe people that come tell us, okay, I dream that, you know, something might happen to you tomorrow. But I've met enough people in my life uh, that have told me something's going to happen, and then it happened. That uh, it's really given me pause to be like, no, 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 no. This, this, this is where the source of prophecy comes from. Well, it's interesting. Like if you look at the ancient world, that, that this was kind of like a, an institution of an office, like somebody that would assist the uh, either that would do the dreaming themselves or assist um, like a king or an emperor or some kind of similar position in, in understanding their dreams. I know we, we crapped all over New Age dream interpretation uh, at the beginning of this episode. And, and what I'm talking about is not exactly the same. But like 
having uh, like a Don Juan or, or a shaman to kind of guide you through uh, the constants of the astral plane uh, as being a kind of like, you know, necessary implement of, of governing or of leading a people that one would need to access um, these realms. I mean, that you're right. That, like that's the whole story of the of the Old Testament is these various prophets that arise from the people of Judea that are that are instructed in their dreams in order to advance a, a specific plan that God has for the evolution of humanity in this area of the world. Yeah, but Christians tend to be like, oh, but prophecy, you know, is a prophecy. And then you're like, no, it's a dream. And they're like, well, that's not what the Bible says. I'm like, well, they didn't have the language that we have today. But where do you, where Or do you maybe get... they did and we don't have the language to translate what they're saying. Probably, but like it was a dream. And it may have been a waking dream. They may have had a vision while they're awake, but that that is accessing higher planes. Because if, if, if what we call a prophet isn't worthy, they wouldn't have been given those visions, right? Mm -hmm. So they have had to, um, they had to achieve a certain level of occult development. A very great, good example of this is actually um, uh, the Oracle of Delphi. So it was actually women, because women are actually seen as being more prophetic than men generally mm -hmm. in the ancient world. Because, because women tend to have the ability to, to live more in the movement, and they're not so governed by the left side of their brain, they actually have more access to the right side of their brain, and therefore they're more intuitive. So the Pythia, um, who was a, the priestess at, um, for Apollo at Delphi, um, they would sit like on this tripod and there would be like these vapors that came up from this crack in the ground um, that there's a whole mythology around. But people would come and ask for prophecies, uh, many of which would, would come true. And the Pythia was always a woman. And the modern explanation, of course, is like, oh, the vapors were hallucinogenic and she had hallucinations. That's just nonsense of trying to explain something supernatural. Uh, these women, there was a long line of women for for you know, thousands of years, that it was, it was like a family that essentially held this power, and they would sit on this tripod and they would deliver like riddles and judgment to people. Um, and it's very clearly like when you look at the Greek text, it kind of very much shows that they they would enter this sort of trance, and sometimes people wouldn't even understand what they're saying, but they were daydreaming. So somebody would come with a question, and they would go into this trance. They would they would induce this ability to go to the astral plane and the mental plane, and they would return back with an answer. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, as we mentioned before, there, there are um, beings, some of them human beings, that are, that are working consciously on these planes. So um, especially in the theosophical tradition, you have this idea that there are adepts, um, people that have mastered these kinds of skills. They could be good or bad. Um, not necessarily all, you know, all working for the cause of evolution, um, but that these people can actually send dreams, just the same way that, like, you know, God uses angels, which literally is Greek for messengers, to deliver dreams unto his prophets. That um, at lower levels, people that are adept at the use of building thought forms and building with astral matter can project these things into the minds of people, either consciously or unconsciously. Kind of how, like you were saying, that there's a thought form that's being forced down onto the material plane, um, that sometimes dreams can be sent for... Um, less divine causes in the, in the sense that like, well, maybe they might be working for evolution. Maybe they're working against evolution, but that there are kind of operators who understand how to do these things and send us dreams if we need them or people that might have advanced knowledge of things that want to kind of reveal it in a more natural way might send a dream uh, for you to interpret. 
So I think I think we've gone a lot through uh, the ideas of, of dreaming the astral plane and, and Freemasonry. And I think it's good here to, that we end on some some practical um, advice, right? So earlier I stated, you know, you should you should do a dream journal. Um, that's the first thing I'd recommend to anybody that wants to try to lose a dream. You know, do do the exercises of, you know, either looking at your hands or some type of object that you see frequently, and every time you see it while you're awake, say, "Am I? I am awake. I am awake. I am awake." And then that'll train your brain when you're when you're asleep to do to say the same thing in order to awaken you. Uh, before you sleep. Um, not only should you think of the highest ideals and think of the things that you want to try to solve and the things you want to aspire to, um, but you should tell yourself, I will lose a dream. I will lose a dream. You should tell yourself, you know, minutes before you're about to fall asleep, go to sleep saying this mantra, I, I, I will awaken my dreams. I will awaken my dreams. And that will send that command to the left side of your brain to, to induce lucid dreaming. But, I mean, the idea is after you lucid dream, it's like, well, what do you do, Right. Well, again, I would really recommend to avoid doing anything negative, you know, any sexual related acts, you know, uh, going around killing people. Don't turn it into like an episode of Grand Theft Auto where you're just driving around your dreams and beating people up and, you know, taking their stuff and like running people over. Like you don't want to do that. You don't, don't spend your dreams flying around because it's fun to, you know, jump off a cliff and fly. A lot of people do the flying actually, which is really interesting. Um, what you really want to focus in is is the things that you're trying to do in your life. So uh, problems you're trying to solve, things that you're trying to understand, because in an abstract fashion, your dreams will reveal the answers that you're seeking. So like if you're really like diving into, I don't know, for example, uh, trying to understand the mystery of the Trinity, right? Um, in your dreams, once you lose a dream, you should ask the question, what is the mysteries? Of the Trinity, and your dream will start to 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 encompass all the things you need to try to understand that subject. You may not understand everything that you're looking at, but you can basically demand that your answer be given in an abstract fashion. So don't waste your dreams like you know going to an orgy. Don't waste your dreams you know going around you know going around like beating people up or like you know you hate somebody so much you start beating them in the face in your dreams like th this is terrible things it's this is why i think people don't naturally lose a dream because you kind of have to prepare yourself for this or it can be very negative so use your dreams in a constructive way i mean often i will use uh, my lucid dreaming to you know i'm, I'm by trade, I'm a computer programmer, and a lot of times I'll spend eight hours on a problem and I can't solve the problem. So when I lucid dream, I will, I will try to solve the problems and I will awake with the answers and then I'll go program it. So um, if there's a book that you've been reading uh, that's really interesting on, you know, whether politics or religion, like you can digest those ideas in the um, in the astral plane so that you can incorporate these lessons. A lot of people just read books and they regurgitate facts, but they never really take anything from it. But in the dream state, you can translate um, this, these facts, this, these, these concre this concrete knowledge into the fabric of your being. And so when, when you're in the astral plane, use it as a place to, to, to make spiritual experimentations. To think of it as Solomon's, you know, you know, workshop, right? It's, 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 it's a place where you can um, test your ideas, look at your ideas, hear your ideas, explore your ideas, 
And all you have to do is think about it in your dreams and you'll start to visualize the truth. Another piece of uh, practical advice, uh, Brother Matthias, you mentioned earlier the, the kind of like the two REM cycles that we have in the night. And these there are many, uh, there's much documentation about ancient practices of like you complete the first cycle and then you get up and, and kind of do something, um, kind of keep your, your conscious mind kind of half occupied so that you stay in a, in a kind of a waking dream state and then go back to sleep. Like try not to kind of get like, again, this, this modern idea of you just cram all of your sleep into one period because you, you know, this is our sleeping time. This is our waking time. Try to break that up a little bit. Try to kind of Come back to the material world, but don't allow yourself to come back fully. Don't look at a phone. Don't look at any kind of distractions. You can use those devices to kind of wake you up at that time to kind of get you used to this new schedule. But um, like you were saying, that second cycle will plunge you even deeper. And it'll also give you, if you wake up after the first one, it'll give you an opportunity to write down anything that you remember in that time. Um, and the same with the second, so that when you wake up, you're, you're kind of in the mode of recording whatever has just happened to you. And then when you wake up in the morning, obviously write your dreams in a dream journal. Um, <clears throat> but in a, in a second um, bit of advice is the night before, put a glass of water uh, on your nightstand. Don't drink it. But when you wake up in the morning, drink it right away. Now, this is some weird folklore. I didn't believe it at first, but you know, some very wise person told me to do this. And uh, I've, I, I now do it every day religiously. Uh, for some reason, like your dreams, they say, get kind of captured in the water. Like, this is all like n old Native American um, ideas. Uh, a lot of the uh, cultures in the Caribbean also have this idea and in Africa. So you, you basically take the water in the morning, you drink it. First thing, you drink it and you start writing your dream journal and you're supposed to remember it because some reason the water like captures, captures the essence of your dreams. I'm not saying there's any basis for it, but I do it every day, and um, I do believe it works. The other thing another wise person told me about dreaming is to uh, purchase uh, a rod of selenite and to keep it either under your pillow or on your nightstand as well, better under your pillow. And for some reason, that mineral uh, helps you remember your dreams and to stay. Um, and it helps you, you know, get into a deep state of sleep. Yeah, no, I think that uh, like all of like. You should approach this like any other serious work that, that one's going to. I, I can't wait to listen back to this episode and edit it, Brother Matias, because I'm going to take all of these activities that you've, uh, you've laid out here and start trying to find you on the astral plane. But as with anything, you know, I think the other thing to remember is to not to be discouraged in your early activities. Um, things like this, things that are worth doing take a long time they take a long dedication you said it took you about a year to even achieve this state that you know things like this have to become a practice mm -hmm. just like masonry masonry is not like you don't just go and get initiated and then never go back and and then you're mm -hmm. a fellow craft like you have to go to meetings you have to put in the work it's the same with dreaming if it's something that you want to do you have to do it consistently and I, I actually think the three working tools in the first degree uh, tell you exactly how to dream because the 24 inch gauge tells you essentially how to divide up your day 
it divides up the number of hours and it's telling you how much you should sleep, how much you should work, how much you should meditate. And so having a proper 24 inch gauge is necessary to lucid dream. Um, you don't drink alcohol, don't eat right before you go to sleep because you're not going to sleep well and you're not going to lucid dream. So really you should have an empty stomach two hours before. Don't go to bed super late. If you're only going to sleep like six hours, it's probably not going to, you're not going to do great lucid dreaming. You need eight hours divided into, into the four hour segments. Uh, but use the 24-inch gauge in order to map out how you're going to dream. Because uh, like these Toltec Indians, these shamans, like they were they were more interested in sleeping than being awake. So they would their whole day was mapped out of how they could properly sleep and achieve these higher states of understanding. The mallet and the chisel represent essentially the the first and second gate. Uh, so these tools are what gets you into lucid dreaming and then constructing forms on the astral plane, allowing you to experiment and to 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 visualize um, your problems. You know, because that's another thing I didn't mention before. Like, if you're if you're really like if you're having a problem, like you know, let's say you're going through a divorce or you um, you know you have a problem with a coworker or you suddenly you're very angry or uh, you can't focus in life, you can use this experience on the astral plane to understand the root causes of your issues so because you ask the so you you start lucid dreaming right you look at your hands you're like oh i am awake and then saying like oh I'm, I'm in my dream what am i going to do in my dream and you're like oh man you know i was really angry today why was i angry? you like literally you just say the words why was i angry mm -hmm. and suddenly your whole dream will be filled with the symbols that will give you the answer to why you were angry or why you're having such a hard time focusing or or why you're unhappy in life so like this, again, this time can be really, really useful. Either you can just piss away a third of your life or you can actively use it in order to improve yourself. It, as you make a good point there in that like, you know, people get into this because they want to fly or they want to have all these wild experiences in the, in the astral plane. But really like what would actually bring you more contentment in life? Like flying for an hour in your dreams or like organizing your life, <laughs> understanding why you're upset during the day, understanding, you know, the, the root cause of, of issues in your relationship or what you're supposed to do with your life or how you're supposed to handle some kind of uh, situation that shows up. Those things are infinitely more useful than entertaining yourself. Well, and if you want to be a, a Beethoven, you're a musician, what do you do? When you, when you re reach lucid dreaming, you start composing music. Like because it's it's a rich environment for abstract thoughts. So if you want to, if you're trying to get you know some sort of um, piece of music worked out, you know you can just sit there at a piano for eight hours, you know, trying to figure it out and get frustrated. Or you can go on the astral plane and try to do it with your astral piano. You know, if you have writer's block, go onto the astral plane, lucid dream, and then unblock yourself, explore new ideas for your stories. Um, if if you are um, an athlete, it, it can also be very useful because you go into the astral plane, you start lucid dreaming, and then you start, you actually can run in your dreams. You can swim in your dreams. You can play golf in your dreams. Like you can perfect your physical form by training your body at night so that when it's awake and doing these things, it has more accurate, you have more accuracy and precision. So it's not just for, for you know, artsy stuff. You know, it's the athlete can really use this. The wrestler can can really perfect his forms, his moves um, on the astral plane. So this is another um, 
another thing that one can do is like if you read fiction before going to bed, like once you start engaging the right side of your brain before um, before you sleep, you're kind of already setting yourself up to work in the mode that you need to because, you know, so much of our, like, this is one thing I, I found um, changed my life with uh, my wife. We, we don't talk about um, kind of material concerns in the bedroom. So like if we have to talk about money or something we have to do with the house, like none of that happens when we're going to sleep. That's like, it's kind of like, it pollutes the the kind of the dream state that we're trying to enter, like the kind of restful sleep that we're trying to have. You have to disengage the left side of your, the left hemisphere of your brain and kind of leave that at the door of your bedroom and to kind of cultivate a space that is conducive to this. So, you know, sometimes we'll light a candle or we'll play some music or light some incense to kind of like get us into a, a creative, um, a creative kind of right brain dominated space before going to bed so that all of that technical, logical, cause and effect type thinking is left completely outside of the bedroom. And as a final bit of advice, it's kind of two-part is, you know, trying to achieve the fourth gate, which is essentially higher levels of telepathy and interconnectedness, um, is um, first in the Masonic Lodge. So in the Lodge, when, when, when you're sitting there, you need to try to visualize what's going on. So when when the when the you know and part of the ritual is talking about the elementals, you need to envision the gnomes and the salamanders in the lodge room. When they talk about the pillar of of, of wisdom, I visualize a pillar um, in the east. When I hear the 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 words you know beauty, I visualize a pillar of beauty in the South by the junior warden. I try to visualize these things. I try to induce my imagination to see these things uh, so that I can induce visions in Lodge. Um, because most of my epiphanies have either come out of dreams or in Lodge. Because I'm not thinking about football or meals or what I did the night before. I really try to focus on Lodge and exactly answering the questions that I have about the universe. And the second thing, and this is really weird, but just trust me on it. Um, if you're married or have a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, um, when you go to sleep, go to sleep touching foreheads. So if you really, if you want to share a dream with someone, um, touch foreheads. Fall asleep actually with your heads connected, and um, if you can, you want to actually share a dream with another person. And that's the most practical advice of how to do that. Eventually, when you master the, the four gates, uh, which is arriving in masonry at the altar, and the hoodwink is removed, and you see the real light, not material light, but real light, it's because the astral plane has become as real or more real than the physical world. And ultimately, like that's our goal in freeing ourselves from... like That's the other side of, of subduing one's passions is this idea of like freeing oneself from any material entanglements like matters is kind of like heavy sludgy thing that we have to move through it's like sucking mud basically and the the more you the kind of more that you reduce your weight in in this world the easier it is to traverse that and get out of it and kind of float on unchained in these other realms but as Freemasons, ultimately, our goal is to have the astral, mental, and physical plane be visible at all times. That we don't have to go to dream to access these places. Um, we don't have to meditate. 
that we are fully awake physically, fully awake on the astral plane, fully awake on the mental plane. And when, and when we do that, we've really evolved to a new level of spiritual understanding. That's what I think is clairvoyance. And that's how you achieve it, is by being able to see things so clearly that the three planes merge into one sort of reality instead of being three separate realities. And I think masonry is one of the most powerful tools for that. The problem is, is that masonry has lost so much of its understanding through the last centuries that people don't realize it. And if we can start teaching these things again to the initiates, to the apprentices, to the fellow craft, to the master masons, then masonry will become a powerful ally in, in restoring our spiritual heritage. Thank you for listening to Legends of the Craft. This podcast is purely the opinion of brothers Matthias Comcier and Axel Suvari not represent the official views of Universal Co-Masonry. Universal Co-Masonry is a Masonic order founded on the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity that admits men and women without distinction of race, religion, or creed. For more information, please visit universalfreemasonry.org.